Well, hello everybody, it's Analog Mike again here from Hong Kong, and uh, welcome to episode 8 of Frame Focus Photo. Really excited about this episode because we have a special guest with us today, a fellow photographer uh, who is living here in Hong Kong, who's been here a long time, a good friend of mine, uh, Jeremy Greenberg. Hey, Jeremy. Hi, Mike. Hey, man, great hey, to Leo. have you. Great to have you on with us. And as usual, we have Digital Len with us from Aberdeen, Scotland. I Len. thought you just about forgotten me there, Mike. Ah, oh, no, you're unforgettable, Len. Um, <laughs> uh, hi, guys. Uh, thanks for joining in. Yeah, so uh, today Jeremy's going to uh, talk to us a little bit about his uh, photographic background, uh, how he got started with photography. And uh, we've picked out a few of his pictures, uh, and we'll have, have links in the show notes for you guys to go and see his work. But uh, over the years, I've seen some of Jeremy's work, which is uh, fantastic. And so we've picked out a few of his pictures to talk about. And uh, uh, we'll also be talking about black and white, because that's our theme for September. And uh, maybe just shoot the breeze and talk about photography. So, uh, yeah. Great. So, uh, yeah, Jeremy, uh, tell us your story, man. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on your show. I'm very grateful to be here. And my photography story really started officially sort of back in high school. I was about 16 and signed up to take a black and white photography class, film of course, uh, in high school and I needed a camera for the assignment and uh, that led me to borrow my dad's Nikon F 35mm with probably a 50mm lens if I can remember correctly. Hmm. And so that's really where I was first introduced sort of formally to how to make photos, how to develop film. Of course, it was black and white because that's infinitely easier than developing color. But my photography kind of laid a, a little bit dormant for, for many, many years after that. I really enjoyed making pictures. It wasn't a professional pursuit of mine until much, much later. And so I'm going to say about maybe six or seven years ago at this point maybe maybe longer i don't know i can't remember the exact date but <laughs> well uh, that's unfortunate because we were planning to give you a little multiple choice quiz at the end of the show <laughs> okay okay so i was going to go with my son max on a school trip to japan and I had never been to Japan, so I was very excited to do this, and I probably was using some little dinky point-and-shoot at the time and decided to invest in a, a proper camera. So I ended up picking up some sort of a Nikon DSLR, and a number of months before the planned trip, I started to sort of teach myself how to use it. and so I was reading anything I could, books or, or internet articles, and and really started to take a deep dive into photography in general and, and making pictures and and 
that's really where the where the the more recent sort of exposure came from and i really got into it like i've been falling down that rabbit hole ever since you could say uh so after really enjoying the process i um shortly after started to pursue a a part-time professional photography career so i did an online course with uh, new york institute of photography which is the oldest photography school in in america it's been around since like 1910 or something like that and uh, they're really were very established the the course takes about six months to get through and it teaches you all kinds of business aspects of photography obviously technical qualities and lighting and it's a, a fairly comprehensive course so shortly after that time i started doing part-time professional photography work and the type of work that i do is fairly limited i do headshots and portraits and events sometimes food photography and i do a, a fair amount of of teaching i've done some workshops for adults and i also teach film and developing film to international school students here in hong kong and i'm always sort of involved in different aspects of, of photography it's, it's really a really enjoyable challenging but enjoyable sort of passion of mine and I make prints and I do projects and I sell some prints here and there and so these days if you're doing part-time work it's very difficult to to keep particularly busy I think in in one area so this sort of diversification that I've learned to do has helped me to kind of keep busy in my part-time professional photography work. So that's kind of the uh, long and short of my uh, photography journey. Um, I am involved in the uh, Cathay Camera Club in Hong Kong, which is a, sort of an amateur but also professional photography group. Uh, we have monthly competitions, which is fun. And uh, again, sort of like hosting workshops, working on projects is uh, keeps me busy. Yeah. That's awesome. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Uh, good laugh to hear you talking about the photography rabbit hole because uh, I feel like you and I have been falling down that together. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah, uh, all right then. Um, yeah, so uh, looking at your current gear, what have you sort of then uh, settled on? Well, um, it kind of depends, right? Uh, I'm sort of a believer in uh, different tools for different jobs. I've got a handful of uh, digital cameras. I've got a even a, a couple of hands full of film cameras um, for my sort of professional work. I primarily use a couple of uh, Fujifilm X-T3s with a handful of professional grade lenses. I have two of those bodies, and if I'm shooting an event, I'll I'll have two on me. 
simultaneously, one with a sort of a short wide zoom lens, one with a long zoom lens, yeah. kind of th thereby sort of covering the whole focal length spectrum from like, you know, 24 to 28 all the way out to maybe 200 plus millimeter focal length um, for sort of walk around street photography and other kinds of projects. I sort of bounce between um, another sort of Fujifilm X-Series, the, the X-T3, which is really nice and small and light. And uh, one of my more recent sort of acquisitions, the Leica Q2, which makes exceptional images. Uh, the Fujifilms make exceptionally good images as well. Really just sort of depends on the lens setup and, and the different sort of ergonomics and if you need like water resistance or not. You know, that's, again, it really depends on that day. What's, what, where, where am I going? Is it going to be raining? Maybe, you know, all of these factors, am I going to be carrying it around all day outside? You know, all those factors kind of lead into like my, my gear selection and of yeah. course lens selection on yeah. a given day, yeah. you know. You sound um, just like Mike. He's got a whole collection of cameras. <laughs> so I can oh, just imagine uh, what your setup is like. Well, it's, it's probably not quite as extensive as his um but uh well i don't know i've seen jeremy's collection and it's it's uh, yeah. fairly comprehensive yeah um for for film i really just use a handful of sort of different camera systems um you know harking back to the piece that i mentioned earlier with my my dad's nikon i have a whole bunch of nikon f cameras with a whole bunch of lenses. Uh, I have some old Leica stuff, uh, which was um, my grandfather's as well, like an old Leica 3F from sometime in the 1950s, I think. Um, and uh, a couple of different sort of Leica range finders. Um, mostly 35 millimeter. I have a couple of very good medium format cameras. Uh, I have a electronic Fuji film, I think it's called the GA645, if I'm not mistaken, which I really love, and uh, also a Makina 67, which is outstanding. Um, so that's really what I use for sort of medium format. If I'm shooting black and white, which I do a majority of the time, I can develop it myself at home and then scan or later take the uh, negatives into the darkroom at school and uh, make some silver gelatin prints, which is which is fun, but but very time consuming. And yeah, so uh, I have some have some strange cameras like uh, a little Minox. I have some very late 1970s Olympus 35 RDs and a couple of. Uh, underwater cameras <laughs> I've like some weird 35 millimeter <laughs> stuff uh, but it's they're all really fun they're all in really good condition it's, it's been a process over the course of many many years sort of slowly buying different pieces and you know kind of trying them out and then maybe getting rid of them and replacing them with something else um, I think about trying to get rid of them but for some reason I just can't you know, I, uh, yeah, I wish yeah. I was, I, I secretly wish I was the kind of person who could just have like one or two cameras and, and be happy with that. But I'm, 
It's just not me. <laughs> well, let's put you me. on the spot. If you had to choose, which is your go-to camera? You're walking or running out the door, you can grab one. Which one's it going to be? Uh, well, is it a digital or <laughs> film? <laughs> uh, you know, okay, you're allowed one of each. <laughs> what would I'm you allowed choose? one of each. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I would probably take the Leica Q2 for digital with the okay. uh, 28, fixed 28 millimeter 1.7. It's, it's, it's just outstanding. It's got, mm. you know, weatherproofing and the sensor is phenomenal. Um, really, really terrific images come out of that lens and, and sensor. Uh, for, for my film choice, I tend to favor this uh, combination uh, of a, a Minolta CLE, which is a little sort of electric rangefinder body that can shoot in aperture priority mode, which will take uh, any number of Leica M mount lenses. So my, my sort of go-to setup is, is the, uh, the Minolta CLE with like a 28 millimeter uh, 2.8 Leica lens, probably with a, a yellow filter on it. And uh, okay. whatever the light conditions sort of dictate for that day, like a Kodak T-Max 100 or 400, something like that, that's, that would be, I could shoot that all day, every day, and, <laughs> and be pretty happy, I think, if I had to. That's nice. I, I, I want to take you yeah. back a step. You you mentioned something earlier in the darkroom, a silver gelatin print. Yes. Um, never heard of that. What is that? It sounds uh, intriguing. Oh, well, uh, that's the um, sort of technical name for the emulsion that's on the paper okay. that we print in the darkroom. It's a silver gelatin material, sort of a... Um, like a paste, I guess, that's, you know, applied okay. to the paper very thinly. So whenever whenever people are making uh, images in the darkroom from film and they're making prints using an, using a, uh, an enlarger, they've got to put the, the uh, negative in the enlarger, the light bulb okay. shines through, it hits the paper, and it exposes the paper, and then the paper goes through a three-chemical process, uh, develop, uh, okay. stop, fix. And, and that paper has a silver gelatin sort of emulsion that's on it. That's the light sensitive material that's that's uh, okay, applied to the paper. So so prints that are made in the dark room are just called silver gelatin. Fair enough. Prints. Um, I, when I did a quick Google search for this, it was coming up with like all different satin types of prints, and it sounded like a specific yeah. print design. I was like, oh wow, these look quite interesting. Okay, but now I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, it's just sort you can of. See, the, I have uh, no clue when it gets to analog stuff. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. well, I leave that to Mike. Yeah, yeah, Mike is um, more knowledgeable than I am about these things. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, um, yeah, well, we're going down the road of uh, black and white, and uh, I just want to, um, uh, just for our listeners, you uh, spoke about a yellow filter on your um, 28 mil for the Minolta CLE, and mm. uh, one of our upcoming blogs is talking about tonality and uh, filtration, so maybe you can just give folks a quick rundown about why uh, you might want to put a yellow filter on your lens. Sure. So when you're shooting with black and white film, there are a number of different colored filters that will uh, 
change the light as it uh, as it's passing through the lens and it'll it'll change the the behavior if you will of different wavelengths of light as it's hitting the uh the 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 negative the film uh in the camera and uh three of the sort of very common types of uh, filters that you might want to use to uh, change the contrast of your uh, exposure onto the film are yellow, orange, and red. In that order, they will provide sort of a mild, moderate, or heavier amount of contrast uh, onto the film. So the highlights will be higher, the uh, shadows and the darks will be darker, and there are other colors that uh, you'll, you'll see a particular, uh, this will be particularly apparent in the sky. Those images that you see, maybe Ansel Adams, for example, was a master at exposure and darkroom techniques. And um, it's very likely that he used some filters to darken the sky to get mm. sort of a more moody, dramatic effect, especially on days when there are no clouds and you're shooting the sky, it might be helpful to kind of darken that. Um, there are other colors that, like there, there's green, there's blue, and those tend to sort of uh, soften or maybe enhance, in some cases, like skin tones. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd have to look up some of the technical stuff for the colored uh, uh, filters, such as green or blue. Um, I, I don't tend to use those quite as much, but I think that the general rule of thumb with those is that they change the opposite color. So, like a green filter is gonna is gonna affect red uh, yeah. in uh, in the on the black and white film. So, you know, even when you are doing post processing with uh, JPEG images, you can change the image to black and white, and then you have different depending on the software program you're using. Uh, it'll have color channels and you can kind of play around with those and it'll lighten and darken different colors within the image. So even though it's a black and white picture, you still actually have a fair amount of control with film or digital on sort of the the final product, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. cool. All right, well, uh, maybe we can uh, chat about some of your uh, specific pictures uh, and some of them I've been with you when you've made them and some of them you've made on your travels and yeah. uh, I, I guess the one that's always stood out to me um, and to a lot of people is the uh, I don't know if you have a title for it but it's the cloud reflection uh, I think you made this picture in the US and, correct uh, yeah maybe you can just talk us through that picture and Sure. And maybe with all of your pictures, just sort of what is that um, that spark of uh, inspiration? Because we'll come back to another picture later where we had an interesting sort of thought about it because I was there that day. But um, right. uh, yeah, ma maybe you can just talk us through that uh, cloud reflection picture because it's always struck a chord with me. It's just so elegant. And again, for our listeners, there will be a link to all of these pictures in the show notes so you guys can go and have a look at Jeremy's work. Uh, yeah, and maybe talk sure. us through that one. 
Well, this photo was one of those classic sort of serendipitous or accidental type of images. It literally just jumped out in front of me. Um, I was on a holiday. I was in the uh, on a lake in a kayak on a lake in the Berkshires, which is in the westernmost part of Massachusetts. And it was a beautiful August day. And the Minolta CLE with the 28mm Leica and the yellow filter setup that I mentioned earlier, I, I was wearing that camera that day because I pretty much always have a camera with me, in addition to my iPhone. So, of course, you know, cameras are phones and phones are cameras these days. And, of course, everybody's you, always now got you're, now one. Now you're talking Leonard's language. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. feeling a bit left out earlier, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 most certainly, you know, smartphones count as cameras. Uh, they do. And, but I frequently will have another proper, I should say, more proper camera with me. So I, I had that. I, I was stuffed with some uh, a, a pretty rare film for me. I don't typically shoot with uh, Ilford Pan F50, but it's a very low ISO film. So it's super smooth, like almost looks digital quality or really it looks digital quality. It doesn't really look like film. There's almost no grain. And there's a a pond well it's a small lake and it's called goose pond and there's a large lake and a small lake and they're connected by this little sort of uh, mini mini sort of um, stream so we came from one big one to the small one and just as we were sort of getting out into the you know larger center part of the lake i just looked up and this is what I saw. And I immediately started trying to fumble around, not lose my paddle, you know, <laughs> try to get the camera focused and everything together uh, uh, before this little cloud might have just vanished, right? Like, who knew uh, how long that was going to be there? And I think I made about four or five quick pictures of this. And of course, I. I it was one of those images that I was so excited that I knew all I had to do was get the right exposure and it was going to be really terrific. And mm -hmm. it was just a very unique and serene scene and the symmetry of it all or the almost symmetry of it all. It's symmetrical, but not a hundred percent. It's not a mirror image. The, the shadow of the, the reflection of the cloud is, is, different than the cloud and I thought that was really kind of cool and profound and and um, you know for me it, it, it was kind of indicative of like how people have different um, personas you know like for example we have like a, our in our real life self and then we have like our digital self online which is like different you know even though it's obviously the same person like we can present ourselves differently uh not just in those two different arenas but in in other aspects too like there's a you know family version of ourselves and then there's a work office version of ourselves and then there's mm. a 
an online version of ourselves. And so even though it's still ourselves, like these reflections or these variations differ. And uh, so I, it kind of evokes that sort of thinking um, with me. That's kind of what I appreciate about this particular image, I guess. And the, the tones are nice. And it was just a very unique picture that really just just presented itself. I, I, I really didn't know what to expect uh, when I hopped into the kayak with my camera. I was just expecting to go for a bit of a paddle around, you know, and then uh, all of a sudden there it was. So sometimes the, the, the greatest moments are really just, just gifts, you know. Yeah. It's just a gift. I forget which photographer uh, um, said this, but, um, you know, it's one of the greats probably from the 50s or 60s who said if you live life, life will give you photographs. And I think this picture uh, epitomizes that ideal <laughs> perfectly. Yeah. It's always had such a sort of serene, serendipitous sort of uh, feel. Yeah. It's, it's uh, always struck a chord with me, that picture. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Um, I I also tend to kind of try to gravitate towards images that are simple. Um, it's yeah. difficult to make images that are simple. It's a little bit uh, counterintuitive, but I actually find it the most challenging to make simple kind of almost minimalist type of, of images. Mm. So, so in that sense, um, yeah, I am particularly proud of this one for that reason, because it's difficult to make pictures like this. Yeah. For me, yeah, I enjoy that side. Yeah. Yeah. I look yeah. at that image and I, I get that feeling of isolation and that's what yeah. I love about it. It's, um, we're so bombarded in today's world with information. Yes. So this just takes you back. I can literally feel myself just sitting on that kayak there and just relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just great. having a moment. <laughs> yeah. We need more of those. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we do. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, Lynn, do you want to talk about the next picture? or? Uh... Yeah. Um, I'll look at one that I quite liked. Um, just going back to one of your color photographs. Um, this looking at your Instagram page, I think, was taken on a school trip or something. Uh, it's like yes. a starry night. Yes, uh, a couple I quite of years ago. Looking at the star trails, and um, that's uh, beautiful. That's so nicely exposed. Um, yeah, tell us about that one. Oh, thanks. Uh, this was um, made on a, a class trip with. Uh, again, this is I, I do some work with an international school. And this was a super fun activity. We we took a uh, group of middle school students to Kitt Peak Observatory, which is out in the desert, about an hour drive in the desert and up on a mountain uh, from Tucson, Arizona. And it's a uh, it's a famous uh, sort of government funded, partially government funded. Uh, astronomy uh, science center uh, it's got um, I think it's got one of the biggest if not the biggest Sun uh, telescope it's got a number of massive telescopes uh, and observatories on the top of this mountain so you can imagine you're you know Tucson is uh, not 
particularly big city in itself and you drive an hour west out into the desert literally in the middle of nowhere and then you drive up this mountain and you're about a mile high and there's almost no light pollution from anywhere uh, we were doing um, an astronomy science trip and also doing a lot of photography work and we were doing some uh, long exposure and uh, some star trail images and sort of playing around with the students teaching them how to do this and so uh, I think you can almost see Tucson in the distance this was an image that was probably about 20 seconds um, probably not more than that because if you do more than 20 second exposure then the stars start to turn from dots into dashes because of the rotation of the earth yeah. so it, it doesn't take very long actually because you know everything's moving all the time so this was a basic tripod setup low ice low iso crank the uh aperture as wide open as you can um and uh set the set the uh shutter speed for about 20 seconds and then hope for the best and then just bring the image into uh, a Lightroom and try to reduce any uh, noise, maybe uh, just some of the colors or sharpness if possible. And uh, that's what I came out with. I think that the little bit of us, well, that's, that's the Milky Way. That is one of the arms of our Milky Way galaxy, which is visible anywhere that doesn't have cloud cover or in the middle of the city where you have a lot of light pollution you can see this uh, but really when you're out in the middle of the desert and you're high up I mean just the volume stars is just it's just overwhelmingly gorgeous it's it's unbelievable and um, the other the other interesting thing is is when you look at this on a um, like a four or five K you know cinema display monitor and you kind of zoom into the stars they're all different colors they're purples and blues and and uh, mm. reds and oranges and you know because they're all at different sort of they're all burning at different temperatures they're all different ages and uh, so yeah it was a terrific trip uh, we were doing a little astral astral night photography and uh, this was uh, one of the the better ones that came out from that from that experience. This one, as you said, was done digitally. Um, have you also done it with a uh, film or not? I did not do night photography with film. It is possible, um, but I, I hadn't. Uh, uh, I, any film that I would have brought on that trip, I probably would have used during the day. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, I have mm -hmm. to ask, because you're living in Hong Kong at the moment, but both of your previous photos are based in the States, so I presume you were living there? Uh, no, I've, I've been living in Hong Kong for 11 years, and all of oh, these wow, images okay. have been... I, I do travel back there under uh, non-pandemic circumstances. I usually <laughs> oh, go to... The, yeah. usually travel back to the States like once or twice a year for uh, different okay. sort of work or pleasure-related uh, trips. So it's yeah. nice to be able to take such nice photos um, when essentially on well holiday or, or business trip that's great yeah well um you know if you pack a uh one or two camera bodies a couple lenses and a tripod will fit in most <laughs> backpacks so uh yeah. you know in, in, unless you're doing 
um, major commercial work or otherwise, if you're doing, you know, it's, it's, it is possible to travel light uh, anywhere with, with photography. And of course you yeah. could just use your phone, although you can't get pictures like this really with your phone. No, not at all. Not, not uh, at nighttime anyway. Yeah. That's so nice. And Mike, your one, um, I know you showed us pictures of it, this, um, panorama. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, Jeremy, I was with you with, uh, when you took this picture, but this is another one that sort of yeah. stood out with me um, right. and it brings up a great uh, conversation, but maybe you can first uh, talk about it, the uh, container ship and the, the mountains uh, in a panorama. Right. And I, I've seen your print of this as well, which uh, is yeah. uh, a, a, another experience, I think. But um, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic picture, so uh, maybe just talk talk uh, through that one sure so uh, we were hiking around one of our most favorite um, hiking places in Hong Kong it's called Po Toy Island uh, you take about a half an hour ferry boat ride from Stanley which is already in the southernmost part of Hong Kong Island and this uh, uh, island is, is uh, very sparsely inhabited i mean probably fewer than like 50 people live there and but the, it has the most stunning hiking trails in hong kong and that's actually saying a lot because we've got dozens of of world-class hiking trails from easy to to super difficult and everything in between and uh, we were out there on one very hot steamy day and uh a particular section of the hike is um, very, very rocky. You're just kind of using your hands to to climb over these giant rocks and, and kind of climb up on this this one section. And uh, there's a fair amount of uh, uh, okay. So um, yeah. So uh, while we're out shooting, you know, we're just kind of shooting from from the gut instinct shooting with our, our, our eyes, shooting with our guts, shooting with our brains, I suppose. And somewhere in the editing process, I came across this image and, and just kind of worked with it for a little while. Um, I thought that the sort of panorama would, would really make sense. There's um, uh, two, uh, the, the, the composition's pretty straightforward. Um, the container ship has some very well-defined containers on it which I think is sort of interesting, and the, the clouds were, were just so, and uh, the uh, tones in the water and in the mountains really sort of, I think, worked well. And uh, so it just seems to, to want to be presented in this kind of uh, black and white panoramic type of a way. And again, I think it's, it's a fairly simple image. Uh, it's got some sort of, you know, nice natural like textures and shapes and things like that. But Again, sort of a uh, relatively simple image, I think, sort of like the cloud picture a, lo a little bit. Yeah, and I, I um, what I found most interesting about this picture, because we were together when you made that picture, is that uh, mm. it really occurred to me um, more so than ever before how differently people see things. Um, and yeah. I remember you taking that, I think it was exactly that frame, in fact, and um, 
looking out into the horizon and thinking, well, it's lovely, but nothing struck me. But I, I could see from the way you were photographing that whether it was subconsciously or, or very consciously, either way, it was something that had grabbed your attention. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't remember how long maybe you worked that scene for two to five minutes or something, but yeah. it's something that I've noticed when you go on any photography meetup very often there will be a theme to some of these meetups and uh, uh, you think oh well you know we're all going to end up with the same bloody picture but it, that's seldom the case uh, you know you go back and have a look at what everyone else shot and uh, quite often you'll see people all see things very uniquely um, and, and I think uh, that's sort of the personal experience I get from looking at that picture because I know the pictures I made they were nowhere near as good as that but uh, they were totally different pictures as well um, and, and so that really struck a chord with me about how we all see things so uniquely um, uh, when we're out photographing uh, that, that, that is true I would, I would argue that some of your pictures we're certainly as good as this one, but it, it is interesting. You know, you and I have gone out and shot many, many weekends and, you know, we're literally walking down the same streets and we're comparing notes afterwards. We'll, we'll share, you know, maybe a dozen pictures or so, and they're wildly different. I mean, it's almost like we were, it, it could have been a completely different location, different day. I mean, they're really wildly different. We, yeah. Even when we're shooting the same subject, it, they come out significantly different. It's it's really fascinating, kind of. Yeah, it how, really is. How that works, yeah. you know, and not necessarily like better or worse, just just different. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very very interesting observation. You know, Jeremy, I love what you said there to Mike. You know, it's giving compliments on his photos as well. Uh, what would you or how would you? Um, help guys to get confidence in what they take you know i look at the photos i take and i often believe oh, they're not as good as someone else's you know mm. someone looks at your photos like we look at yours and it's like wow that's great um you know what would you tell to guys that are up and coming in the industry and taking photographs that don't really have confidence in their own abilities yeah uh that's a good question i would say that going uh, being a part of a sort of amateur or semi-professional or even a professional photography club and going being um, participating in that experience on a regular basis can be really beneficial um, even if it's just sort of like an open critique session or if it's a competition that's fine too but the a competition for the sake of competition is not necessarily helpful because it's simply a selection process but there's no yeah. learning there's no, there's no like feedback or critique or learning. It's just like, okay, this gets selected or that doesn't, but, but seldomly there's a discussion of, of why. So, um, I think that, uh, when, when somebody participates in that kind of an experience, they can really learn about the answers to which images work and which don't. And, and that, that's helpful. Uh, that's a really helpful process. And, and, you know, you do have to be, you do have to have a little bit of a thick skin as an artist, if you're going to sort of put your work out there 
and be open for critique. Like you have to just kind of bite the bullet a little bit and, and understand that like some of your work is going to um, connect with some people and some of it isn't. And it's fine for you to like it and it's fine for other people not to like it. And that's okay. Like people can agree to disagree. Um, but I think that that process of exposing yourself to critique is, is one of the only real ways to get better. I, I don't know of, a, of another better way to improve your work other than regularly sharing and, and being open to uh, proper critique. Yeah, I like that advice. And that's definitely good for guys. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Cool. And uh, I think the uh, last picture that we had there, it's uh, not a black and white picture, but uh, and it's actually one I hadn't seen, but uh, Len was going through your work and he picked it up. And uh, I think it's a very cool picture. It's uh, a harbour with, uh, I think it was maybe... Well, you can tell us, but it's primarily black and white, but uh, just with the color of the boats kept intact, with little yellow boats, and uh, so yeah, yes, I like the it, selective color of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not one I had seen before, so I'd be happy to hear about that as well. So this was um, uh, somewhere in the Taipo section of Hong Kong, and it was a little bit of an experiment. Um, once upon a time, uh, selective coloration was sort of a, a popular editing technique, you might say, and and um, it's a difficult technique to really sort of make work. Um, this image, though, it was a very overcast day, and just very overcast gray day, and uh, these yellow boats were actually quite striking and, and I like the pattern of the boats. Uh, nothing, I mean, this is not, yes, it is a, 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 a treatment. It is a, a conscious treatment that I've sort of applied to this image. Um, but it frankly wasn't dramatically different than this because the day was so overcast and so gray that day that I, it didn't take much to sort of you know, just erase the color from the surrounding like environment and, and just sort of like boost the, the yellow in the boats just to kind of enhance that. It didn't take much to do it, but it was a little bit of an experiment and um, um, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, man. I do. Yeah. Oh, it's, re it's really been so cool to just uh pick your brain on some of these pictures and then talk yeah. about photography in general and um, one of one of the things i'd like to just add about this image is something i uh, frequently attempt to do when making landscape pictures is try to include like a foreground a middle ground and a background yeah. so they're you know and it's all relatively in focus so so that kind of adds layers and depth and and you know that's that's how we see right like we see pretty much everything in focus so it yeah, kind of yeah. helps to place the viewer i think you know into the scene when you can achieve a couple of those different um effects yeah yeah absolutely yeah cool yeah, great and uh, uh, yeah, any any anything else you want to chat about? Uh, shoot the breeze with, and photography wise, and uh, we've been going uh, for 
just about 45 minutes or so, so we'll start wrapping things up. But uh, anything sure. else you want to talk about? Um, well, you know, on, on your subject of, of black and white, there's, there's a lot of cliche statements that, you know, could, could be said about, uh, about black and white. Um, certainly there was, um, one of my, my more favorite quotes, and I can't remember off, offhand, uh, who, who said this, but, uh, when you photograph somebody in color, you photograph their clothes, but when you photograph somebody in black and white, you photograph their souls. Have you ever heard that expression? Yeah, actually, uh, Len and I were just talking about that uh, quote a few episodes back, and yes. uh, I, th- I think it's totally accurate and true. I, I want to say... It kind of it, is, yeah. Uh, yeah. By Ted Grant. Ted Grant, yeah. yeah. Ted Grant. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Thank yeah, you for that. Canadian documentary photographer. Um, right. Yeah, that's that's great advice, and uh, yeah, always nice to shoot the breeze. Uh, Len, any anything else from uh, your side? No, nothing. Um, really, just to ask Jeremy. You know, it's, uh, if guys want to get in touch with you or see some of your work, uh, where can they find you? Sure, um, it's uh, limelighthk.com. That's my commercial website. My blog is on there. Um, uh, my Instagram is is under the same name pretty much. Uh, I think it's limelight underscore HK. Uh, so that's my photography work. Links to blogs and, and other sort of images are, are on there as well. Oh, perfect. And uh, we'll have um, links in the show notes uh, for the listeners to go and check out your website and your Instagram feed as well and uh, any other feeds that you'd like to send them. Um, yeah, okay. and uh, I think Thank that's you for spending all. time with us on the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's been a great pleasure. It's always nice to hear you chat about photography, uh, Jeremy. And uh, uh, we hope everybody's enjoyed the show. And uh, stay tuned for the next one coming up next week. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Keep up. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Find us on the web www.framefocusphoto.com or Facebook and Instagram at framefocusphoto. Email framefocusphoto at gmail.com and don't forget to tune in next week for another great episode. The music for this show was provided by the talented Varun and you can follow him on Instagram at rainvioletsky.